I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. you for joining us at leaving hillsong a big thank you for all the messages and the comments and the support please keep it up it's really really helpful i've known joe for a bunch of years i've known her through facebook and her writing and her advocacy she's an incredible woman she's got so much to tell us we had quite a long conversation and the editing is often so hard. Joe's been through a lot with churches and we'll start with the first question, which is how did you find yourself at Hillsong or an AOG church? And we'll take it from there. So Joe, Yes. Let's just start with how you wound up in an AOG church. I know a little bit about your story. I come from a family of atheists. How did you end up in an AOG church then? Where did, where well, did that all start? It started in um, early high school, although my relationship with God or who I perceived to be God started when I was very young, which kind of set me apart from my family because my family are all non-Christians, atheists, okay. never interested in spirituality, church or anything like that. But from a very young age, I always felt I had a very deep, intrinsic spirituality, although it was just... Why do you think that was... I don't know. I've actually no idea why. And it's a subject of therapy to this day. Still trying to work out why with no conditioning and we always thought there was a God. Used to have a little chat with God, you know, every now and then. And then my friend who lived two doors up, um, she and her family went to a Catholic church. So I used to often take along on Sundays and go to the Catholic church and I just thought it was bloody marvellous. I thought it was oh, just the most okay. majestic thing I had ever seen. And at that time when I grew up, I wanted to be a nun. Because I just thought they were marvellous. Is that the visuals were a big part of that and all that? Because the rich, the rituals and the, the sense of like we do special things here. I'm we, just wondering if an yeah. artistic kid was more I drawn to just, that. It was just really caught my imagination and my uh, it just felt like it connected with my idea of who God was, big and, you know, all of So yeah. I really connected with all of that. I think I really got the shits though when I wanted to go and have communion and my friend's parents said, no, that's not for you. You can't have communion because you're not Catholic. 
Ooh. very cut about that. That just didn't ring true to me. I thought if God is God and I'm here and he yeah. loves me and I talk to him, why can't I go up the front and have communion? So, yeah, the they tell you why? went off it a little bit. Well, because I wasn't Catholic, that's all. And that's it, you're cut off from Catholicism. Well, your family's not Catholic. You don't come from a Catholic okay. family and you're a kid, so you can't convert. So, so they did give me some rosary beads, which was just lovely of them. I actually really did treasure those rosary beads, but they never taught me the special prayer that went with them. From a very young age, I was kind of very drawn to things Christian, very drawn to the imagery and the and the, the mythology and the kind of mystery around it, the spiritualism and the symbology of, and all of that stuff. It really just, I don't know, I was really interested in it, but I didn't really have an opportunity to do anything about it being from a non religious family so if anything it was a subject of much ridicule in my family and I felt alone because of that because I did feel like God was real and God was part of my life but it was quite isolating very isolating such an opposite experience to the Christian family with a child that doesn't believe yeah that, but as I say level. it's the subject of therapy to this day like why on earth is it part of my mental illness we'll never know but then in early high school my elder brother and I were friends with this other brother and sister who lived in the same street so I became friends with the sister and my brother became friends with the brother and that family the children had all started going to church the mother was an atheist but all the kids in that family had started going to church to this group on a Friday night okay. so the elder sister of my friend actually asked me to go to youth group she sensed that I was feeling quite lonely and isolated in year seven and she initially said do you want to come to this bible study on Thursdays so I went yeah sounds pretty good so I started doing that and then she said well why don't you come to youth group on Friday night I think you'll really like her and I went yeah yeah, well, I was lonely. I didn't really have many friends. I was a bit of a weirdo because I, I know I mentioned to you before, I was really into drama and singing. And those are things that you just did not do. You did not stand out. You did not want to do something different. You mm. were a poser. I felt really different. And so I went along to this youth group and I just, my whole world changed. I just felt like I'd found my tribe. I was in there. I was in. I was in. It was like, whatever you're selling, take my money. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. Got down on my knees, did the thing. Everyone was stoked because, I mean, obviously I'd been plucked from this godless family to the tribe of Christ, you know, and it's like, oh, you're a little trophy of grace. Look at you. I loved it because they had music and they had okay. a lot of music yeah. and I loved to sing. So that was kind of how I found my place in church at the very beginning. What, we're talking mid-80s here? Mm-hmm. the music was fantastic it was well it was just ever. burgeoning at that stage you know like we're talking about brian houston and his ilk only having just come to australia mm-hmm. and bringing that flavor of church and marrying it with say the more charismatic baptist and uh uniting church strains you know they were all people were leaving those kind of more fundamental staid conservative churches and, right. and joining up with this move but the interesting is that my husband's family had been involved with the Pentecostal church in Australia for generations and his grandfather was actually a a very established and well-respected pastor in that movement and they had a church at the entrance where they had this youth group so he and I connected kind of around that time where he was just barely a teenager and I was a little bit older and we didn't really know each other very well so Ben came from this very strong Pentecostal charismatic fundamentalist 
Christian heritage, but because of this evening out of the platform, that it didn't matter where you were from, and yeah. you could also bring in your you could bring in your Christian background if you wanted to. It all just married up at this time of incredible change in evangelical Christianity, which was around the early eighties. So this kind of all started to bubble up in Australia around the time Frank and Brian Houston came to Australia and started changing the landscape. From my memory, wasn't Phil Pringle around in those days first? He'd just come as well. Yeah, but this was all happening in Sydney. And so Sydney back then, I mean, Sydney felt like away from everybody. It was where everything was happening, but it was away from us. So unless you're in Sydney and you're writing it, everybody from the Central Coast who wanted to be anything in the church all went to Sydney. Christian Life Centre was, that's where Christian City Church was, that's where all these things were happening. So if you wanted to be part of anything that was anything, that's where you went. So and your your church was? Yeah, the first actual church I started going to on Sundays and becoming a member of was Brian Houston's church plant at Terrigal Beach. And it was so early in that church life, Brian was actually coming every Sunday to preach. So there he was, larger than life, bouncing around in his long legs and his wild beard and his crazy eyes and, and the music. He would bring some musicians with him every Sunday. And, That's right. He um, used to do the rounds, didn't he? Yeah. So he had these church plants that he used to that he used to go to and he'd get them all set up and then he'd hand them over to either his mates or, you know, someone who seemed even half capable on the ground. So how he ended up with Kevin Brett. You were right under the leadership of right for, from the beginning. For those who don't know already, it's um, Carl Lentz's father-in-law, isn't it? Yeah, yeah but that's exactly. you know so, much much later down the track. But very much. I mean, he God, I hate so to they were good mates then, then. Brian and Brian and oh God, they were like that. I heard Kevin Brett really spruiking in his little piece on his website that you know he's known Brian since before the history of time or something. So. Yeah, I mean, they were friends back in New Zealand. Sounded kind of threatening at the time, though. You know, I've known Brian since before he knew. Yeah, and it's <laughs> funny you should mention that because I actually think that I have personal feelings. This is nothing I've got any evidence for other than the fact that I was there back at the beginning as a young, impressionable girl. The things that I saw go on, the things that I saw go on after, the whole way that the bullshit with Frank was handled, there's just... So there you are from year seven in the Brian Houston personally planted. Life Central Coast Christian Life Centre right at the beginning. You had lovely Marilyn there and she was heavily with child, I think, at that time with Laura. And then Emma was born and we used to carry these little darling children around on our hip. And it wasn't long before the church, because of its attachment, I think, with Brian, who was a celebrity back even then, just started drawing all these people, these these couples, these these families, this diaspora from other churches or cults or whatever that had dismembered themselves or had collapsed or where they were disillusioned and had started to attract all of these people. And it, it was only years later, actually, that I found out that quite a lot of these people who were the foundational members of Christian Life Centre had actually come from very toxic religious and, and Christian institutional organisations. Really, they had come to recover. It's so appealing to people who come from very rigid backgrounds. It looks like paradise. Yeah, I agree. And I think the issue is around the principle of like attracts like. So there are a lot of, and I'm going to say men out there who felt that they were looking to become leaders themselves. 
and that coming to a church like the Christian Life Centre Church generally or specifically Central Coast Christian Life Centre was going to be a way that they could become the leaders they imagined themselves to be, either because the church before had kind of gone, you're off your head, please leave, or because they just fancied themselves that way. There's definitely evidence that that system rewards different personalities. Absolutely. In and that's what ways. we saw. Yeah, or, is know. that we were ending up with little carbon copies of Brian or, and Kevin, you know, or people that were half celebrities in another church who would come to our church to be the celebrities that they imagined themselves to be. I mean, we had some amazing celebrity pastors come through the door. And in amongst them were some of the most incredibly intuitive and gifted teachers as well. We had some incredible, really biblical, all of that stuff that you expect from a healthy, wholesome pastor. We had that as well. And the music was secondary. You know, the worship ministry was for worship and it wasn't an entity unto itself. It was a prelude to the main meal, which was the teaching. The music became so popular. I was like, oh, did I miss something? Should I have maybe taken those dance and drama people more seriously? No, I was very involved in the creative ministries from the beginning and was doing the dance and drama and the, and the music ministry. And I led the drama team on and off for many years and was always involved in those ridiculous outreaches where they take a bus full of youth group people down to King's Cross and then you do all your most humiliating and they'd always throw me out the front because I was the one that had no fear straight witnessing that kind of stuff no no none of that I was never allowed to do that I was the one that they would they would write a really out there drama and they'd go Joe you can do this you can do this my favorite one was that and you probably heard this one it's from a joke that says just because you live in a hangar doesn't mean you're a plane so yeah. just because you go to church doesn't mean you're a Christian. Yeah, just because you go to Macca's doesn't make you a cheeseburger papacetti. That's right. So they wrote a, a drama that meant that basically while the youth pastor was preaching, some crazy lady would come flying down the aisle pretending to be a plane. Literally a plane. And they wouldn't okay. tell anybody. Right. They wouldn't tell anybody. Nobody knew. And so here I am. Youth pastor's preaching and when he says the special word, I come sailing down the aisle pretending to be a plane, like this. And then senior pastor got up and tried to remove me from the room because he actually thought I'd lost my fucking mind. (laughs) So I, I got to do those sorts of things that no one else would do. Lucky me. I just remember those girls that used to dance from like side to side and they're kind of in the ribbons and Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that was Ben's upbringing experience. His sisters were very much of that. You know, they had a group that did the tambourines and the all that. And how often were you going to church or doing a church thing during the week? So I would go to Bible study. This has been the 80s. I would go to Bible study on Tuesday night at some people's up the road that I got to be very, very good friends with and am friends with to this day. So that was Tuesday night. So I would waddle up there and go to Bible study. And then we would have either music or drama practice on, say, Thursday night. And then you would have youth group on Friday night. And then you might have some sort of something happening on Saturday night to keep you out of trouble and off the streets. And then you'd have um, church twice on Sunday. So you're going to church or being involved with church four or five times a week. This is, I guess, a lot of your social life? Yeah, so for most of my teenage years that was... That was it. So from the age of about 13 and on and off, I must say on and off, because there was this periods where 
the dissonance between living in an atheist family to an atheist school, you know, wanting to actually have friends, wanting to actually have a life outside the church as a teenager because no one was coming with me. Let's mm. face it, mummy wasn't going to come to church. Just got too much. I just go, you know what, I'm just going to give this a rest for a while. I think I'll just go off and smoke and have sex and roller skate and have a bit of fun. And that definitely happened, you know, a few times. I'd sort of vacillate between feeling that pull and need to be part of a tribe that was the God people because that was such a huge part of me. And the other part of me, which just wanted to just be a teenager, feel accepted and feel normal and feel like I could just do whatever I wanted. It's like living in the two parallel universes, isn't it? Very much so. That's exactly what it was like. In fact, there was no overlap. You're either one or the other because neither could tolerate the other. And they're both. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Very real. They're so real and they mattered so much. They both mattered so much. I had formed real relationships in the church, like I mentioned, with the couple who were looking after me in the in the Bible mm. study, for example, and a lot of other people that I'd become very close to and who were being very, really putting into my life and really helping me in a lot of ways. But with that came all the shit that mm. goes with church. Mm. You can't do this. You can't do that. You won't go there. You won't be this. No, we won't be having that. Mm. And no, you won't be doing that. And then this other side of my life where it's like, yeah, you can be a fucking rock star. Like you can smoke, you can drink, you can you can sing on stage, you can do anything you want, you can have the friends you want, you can go to the parties at the surf club, you can have a good time. But there was no middle ground. Where did things start changing? I think I had been really vacillating all that time until probably I fell pregnant. I think that was the clincher. So backing up a little bit. You met your now husband. So who is now my husband? So I had actually, yeah, I'd been dating his older cousin, actually, who was a drummer in the church. When I say dating, I mean fucking. Yeah. We'd been doing that for about a year. And then, um, of course, all very covert, like no one knows. Yeah, bullshit, everybody knew, but, you know, no one knows. And then we broke up and I kind of was on a little bit of a, knife edge with the church I was I think at that stage I was deciding whether or not it was what I wanted because I just realized there were so many things in my life I loved to do that I was just not going to be able to do if I chose this path it was just so many things I was just okay so I'm at this counterpoint now I can choose this life to be devoted to the church and do everything that they expect from me and, and have this kind of life or this and I have no idea what that involves I have no idea what that looks like And it means leaving this behind. And that means leaving that behind. And right in the middle of that, 
Ben and I started because he was at a real counterpoint with his faith as well. So he'd been brought up in this very conservative, old school, end times teaching family tradition of Christianity. And he just about had enough of it because it's quite abusive. Like he was getting to the end of his teenage years and going, I don't want to do this. And so we collided and we were dating, read fucking for a couple of months. And then I became actually really, really sick. And we later found out I had glandular fever. The birth control didn't work. So you were using birth control because I was wondering if mm. that had anything to do with covert relationship preventing Not access really, to birth no. control. Okay. While we were dating, I was feeling a lot of pressure to choose to make up my mind and I was being put under a little bit of pressure to make up my mind. Are you going to stay in the church and be everything that we know you can be and fulfill your potential as this wonderful person that you can be and, you know, meet God's wonderful rigid expectations for your life and behave the way we'd like you to behave and all of that? Or are you going to move out of God's will and basically be a slut for the rest of your life? So you choose. Be a slut with us and we'll forgive you and you'll, you'll kind of feel good about yourself because we've forgiven you. Or you can be a slut over there. You're miles away from us. You choose. Still a slut. Trophy of grace. Or you can just be the harlot. I think it was youth group one night and early in mine and Ben's relationship actually and I was pregnant at the time and I didn't know it. And I was on this, hell, what do I do? Do I give up this relationship? Do I try and be a good girl or do I just go, you know what, I'm just going to not do that. I'm just going to go and pursue acting. I'm just going to go and do what I want to do. What do I do? So I went out the front on the altar call that night. And this is one of the pivotal moments in my life where I realised that something was amiss somewhere so I go out on this altar call and the pastor coincidentally the same pastor who asked me to act like an airplane in the church service put his hands on my poor little head and he said to me look Joe for word from the Lord for you and the Lord says he wants you to give up Ben wants you to give him up he's got big plans for your life darling cannot ever fulfill his plans for your life while Unless you yield Ben. Those were his exact words. Yield him. And what do you think was behind that? Oh, I know what was behind it. I was his star protege. I I was the one that he was counting on to fulfill all of the things he had planned. You know, he wanted me to sing and dance and fulfill his plan. I mean, God's plan for my life. So he had big plans for me and Ben just didn't fit into that. So he was basically saying that God was on his side and God had told him and the thing is, I was pregnant at the time. But he didn't get that word. He didn't get it. God didn't, God didn't tell him it's weird. that. Weird, weird. So I went yeah. outside. Yeah, I walked outside that night just feeling a little bit confused and went around the corner and with Ben. I said, Ben, love, it looks like God wants us to break up. But <laughs> I'm not really up for it. What do you think? And Ben said, no, I don't think so. I said, great, yeah, we're on the same page. Well, let's not. You weren't overcome with pastoral fear, no? I felt like it was a load of bullshit. And then a couple of weeks later I found out I was pregnant and I was like, well, God, (laughs) why didn't you tell? If, If right to life is all it's supposed to be and if, you know, you know everything and if getting married and having babies when you've got a baby in you is what you want me to do, 
why did you basically want me to be a single mother or get an abortion? So it was just a bit of dissonance there. I mean, I mean, I'm being sarcastic. It's amazing what these men know and what they don't know, though. I've, I've noticed that. So I just would have felt more like God knew was what was going on if God had said, huge decision coming up for you, sweetie, and I love you. Whatever you choose to do, you'll be supported. Oh. Now, that would have made a lot more sense if the good Lord had said that, but the good Lord did not. The good Lord gave me an absolute edictorial directive that if I didn't break up with my boyfriend, he could never fulfil his plan for my life. <laughs> Tanya, I got what was coming to me. Punishment. Because that's what was next. Same pastor. So when I found out I was pregnant, I went to Kevin Brett first to tell him what had happened because I wanted to secure the support of the church. I wanted not to be told I had to leave. I wanted to feel like I was supported and that because, and you know, my parents don't come to this church, but I want to keep coming. You know, I want to feel included. I want to feel protected and shielded and safe and okay. So I went to talk to Kevin Brett, who, you know, promptly handed me over to the mercy of the youth leaders to do with whatever they thought was best because I didn't rack off and make it all simple for them, which would have, if I just left the church, it would have mm. just made it all very simple, but we didn't want to do that. And that was what pushed us over the fence. So Ben and I had been this in this real sort of bind of not knowing whether we should just, you know, pack the car and move Byron Bay or whether we should just stick it out and stay in the church and just handle the consequences of that. And we decided to stick it out. We decided to stay and face up to the consequences right. of our actions because we didn't believe that they could possibly be very bad. Like we thought we were in a safe place. We thought that we would be supported and we thought that we would be looked after. And while we made our decisions about what we we're going to do, were we going to get married? Were we going to continue to bring the baby up together? Or were we, like, what was going to happen? What were we going to do? We didn't know. What had they been saying that you thought you could take that stuff to them and it would be okay? I just thought that's what church was. There was no precedent, but I just thought that's what God people did. I just thought I don't think this is unreasonable to expect that I will be able to come here and not be judged and not be victimised and not be made an example of and not be told I've done the wrong thing because I know I've done the wrong thing. I'm paying the price for it and I think that, this will be a group of people who will say, yes, yeah, she's suffering enough. Let's help her. And I mean, afterwards, in the years to come, you know, I was often trotted out as the example of why not to have sex before marriage, quite often. In your absence? No, I complied. They would say, oh, Joe, you want you come and talk to the youth group on Friday night about why they shouldn't have sex before they get married because of what happened to you. I was like, oh. So the consequences of us getting pregnant was us being made to stand up in front of the youth group and apologise. How did that end up? So I was quite heavily pregnant and there had been no real repercussions. You had approached the pastors and told them you were pregnant and thought it was going to be a safe place. Well, what was their reaction? Well, nothing. Nothing happened, really. We just kept going to church and trying to show that after having done the bad thing, we were going to do the good thing. Like, yep, yep. We told them, yep, we're planning on getting married at some point down the track, but we're just going to wait till the baby's born and see what happens. But it was just like we dropped into a hole. They just didn't know what to do with us. It was clear they didn't know what to do with us. Yeah, it was just a really empty time. And I felt incredibly isolated and unsupported. I was bullied 
In fact, by most of the people in the youth group just avoided me like the plague. Okay. It's awful. And yet I just was pushing in, pushing in, pushing in, going, oh, I deserve this. This is, I had to come in. Like I deserved to be ashamed. I, I deserve this. You know, I've just got to push in. This is just all part of it. And so I just kept going to church. And then I think I must have been about six or seven months pregnant because I was quite heavily pregnant. And this pastor, the same pastor, came and said, what we want you to do is get up and apologise. We want in the youth group for what you've done. So Ben and I just kind of went, well, now would be a good time to pack up and go to Byron Bay. <laughs> but it was just like we were so vulnerable. We were so vulnerable. We were financially vulnerable. We were emotionally vulnerable. We were spiritually vulnerable. And we wanted to belong. Like we'd cut our ties. We'd chosen in. We were off the fence. Like we'd bought in. We'd gone, we're at your mercy. We have nothing we've bought in, you know, we're, we're depending on you. And so they allocated a night and we turned up at youth group and then they said, and now Ben and Joe have got something they need to talk to you about. And we had to stand up in front of them and basically tell them all the dirty details and apologise for letting them all down. And it was yeah. absolutely mortifying. Wow. It was probably the most traumatic thing that I experienced in church before or after. It was shocking. And I can only equate it in any way to what I know to be Anthony Van Brown's experience in the same church. Same church, same pastors, same moral, this squeamishness at not knowing what to do with this situation. And so setting up these scenarios whereby you're really victimising the victim. They did the same thing to Anthony. When he came out, I was there that day. Following that horrible public, I mean, did did people support you after that or continue to avoid you? It was actually quite polarising. So people either came out and said, why did that happen? You shouldn't have been made to do that. And we still talk to people today who said that was an incredibly traumatising experience for them because they realised what would happen if they did the wrong thing or got caught what was going to happen to them. And that was their intent, to make an example of us, to say, if you do the wrong thing, not only will things you don't want to happen to you happen to you, but we will make sure this happens. The more and more evidence that comes out that people getting shamed publicly on social media and it leads to all these high suicide rates. So actually face-to-face in a meeting of people that you... Of your peers, people that you love and respect and expected to protect you. And I still talk to my bloody therapist about it I mean I'm 52 fucking years old and I was 20 when that happened you know and this is something still that my therapist says that the shame it's indelible it's so powerful very very traumatizing so sorry that 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 happened to you and and yet it, it seems to be a common public shaming method well it's it's a way of dealing with their squeamishness and around them not being able to what you call it it's just like a lack of control. It's just like, well, where did we go wrong? Okay, well, we can't put right where we went wrong. So let's just project that onto the actual person. And, I mean, they further compounded that by the baby was a couple of months old and we said, you I know they still do it, but the public dedications do with the little babies. And because we'd gotten through all the shit with the pregnancy and the birth and everything was going well and we were engaged and looking at getting married in a couple of months, we went to... Kevin Brett and said look we'd really like to have our baby dedicated in front of the church like we feel like it would almost be like a redemption for us you know 
would legitimize spiritually our baby. Like we, we want to be back into the church. We want to feel like we've redeemed ourselves. And they, they came back and said, no, you're not married. So your child's illegitimate. So we won't do a, a public dedication. And that kind of really blew things out of the water as far as their family was concerned. Ben's father hit the roof, absolutely hit the roof. He was disgusted. And that's the first time he actually had really gotten involved in, he just went off his head. That's just the beginning of Jo's journey. We've heard how she found herself there and a bit about what led her to leave. And there's a lot more about that story and what's happened since then. So join us on Sunday. Leaving Hillsong will be on every Sunday night and every Wednesday for the foreseeable future. But for now, every Sunday, 5pm Sydney time. Thanks again for being part of this conversation. Join us next time to hear the next chapter of Joe's story. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.